Well, that was very good singing. Thank you very much. There's nothing like singing with God's people. And uh, that's going to, that's a, what's the hymn writer say? A foretaste of glory divine. So one of these days, we don't have to stop. We just keep singing and uh, praising our great God. Maybe even looking back and realizing why we have a reason for for singing. Because of being bought out of the slave market of sin adopted into the family of God, um, standing in heaven singing, worthy is the lamb that was slain. And uh, one of these days, maybe today, that will be a reality. Um, It's good to be with you. Thank you very much, Pastor, for the invitation and for the emphasis here on God's people praying together. I wish I could say that I find that everywhere. not the case. In fact, very few churches actually pray together. Um, as I've traveled internationally, a lot of churches throughout Asia and Africa pray together often by default. But in America, that's not the case. We pray personally by default. And I don't know exactly why that is, except that there's a, there is a, a go west young man, go west uh, mentality. There is a pioneering spirit. There is a have it your way from McDonald's. I don't know where it all uh, came from. But Americans, uh, if you talk about praying together, even pastors today, um, they will say, well, we pray for the offering. You know, we, we pray to close the service or open the service. Uh, but a, not much of an emphasis on like you did this morning, even a time of praying together, really demonstrating our dependence on God together. So thank you for that. And we want to encourage that. So um, I'd like to have you take your Bibles and go to the book of Ephesians and the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians. I also appreciate even the, the matter of praying for those uh, in Maine. I was in Maine last Sunday and um, um, I didn't realize how close I was to Lewiston, the place of the shooting, and um, until I was in another town called Tilton, I think it was, or Tilson, one of the two, and uh, there was nobody on the streets, nobody. I happened to be find a coffee shop, and I walked out, there was nobody, and that's right at the time where they found the shooter in that city. So, uh, but I look at those things, and you would also, we would never want that kind of thing to happen. Yet, those kind of things often direct people to Christ. And God uses those things. God used 9-11. God uses what's going on in Israel. God uses the Ukrainian uh, war to show people the emptiness of this life. And the only only person who can solve the emptiness of life is Jesus Christ. So we could be praying for those that know uh, horrific circumstances. Um, we live currently, and uh, no plans on leaving, I'd say currently because we, we, I pastored a church in Denver for 27 years before we moved to Greenville, South Carolina. And, uh, but my wife was raised in the thumb area of Maine. Uh, I'm sorry, thumb area of Michigan, if you know the way this Michigan is described, it's often described as a mitt. I guess it'd be this way. And uh, she lived in the Thumb area, the Port Huron area of Michigan. Um, she lived in a small town that had one traffic light, and uh, that was a big deal to them to have a traffic light. They also had downtown Croswell, Michigan. They had a store 
which some of you, if you are, if you understand this, it'll probably date you a little bit. They had a Ben Franklin store downtown Croswell, Michigan. It became known as a five and dime store, and then became as a dollar store. And anymore, dollar stores are like dollar and a quarter stores. But um, when we were moving from from Colorado to Greenville, South Carolina, my wife was going through some of her files and found a newspaper clipping from this little town of Croswell, Michigan, where it was chronicling the fact that a group of junior high uh, kids broke into the Ben Franklin store on a Saturday night and didn't do any damage, but all they did was change price tags on things in the store to where a television was the price of a box of facial tissues and, and, and vice versa. So when the owners arrived on Monday morning, everything was in disarray. And uh, so we laughed, and he was cut. but my wife said something. She said, isn't that what our adversary, the devil, does? He, he, he wants us to value the things that God does not as much or, or not value the things that God puts high value on. And um, so we're going to talk about something this morning that God puts a high value on, but I'll guarantee you this. Can I walk around? Is that okay? I guess I have my, okay. Not everybody's comfortable walking around, but we are in the West. Um, um, God's, God puts high value on God's people praying together. I'll guarantee you, as we talk about corporate prayer, and I don't want to get spooky here, but our adversary, the devil, is going to try to convince you this doesn't make sense. Don't do. Don't worry about this. It is a low value item, but yet God puts high value on it. How do we know God puts high value on corporate prayer? When Jesus cleansed the temple, he looked at the money changers and he looked at the area in the temple and he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That was before the church so we would assume that what he's talking about is the gathering of his people ought to be characterized by praying together. And yet the gathering of people today is often characterized by things other than praying, which are not bad things. Maybe it's preaching, maybe it's music, maybe it's counseling, maybe it's addiction recovery, I don't, I don't know. But in churches, there ought to be some type of a culture of prayer even people would say, I don't know what's going on in there, but that's a praying people. Even if you think about the matter of the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer or the Model Prayer, um, this prayer starts off with our Father who art in heaven, not my Father. So it was the default of the early church. And there's a reason for that, and that's what we find in Ephesians chapter 6, and we're just going to... Um, we're going to start here, but let me in our minds just say that the winds of the sail, the wind and the sails of God's of gospel advance is God's people praying together. So if you think about this valley and you're thinking of, of the people that you want to see come to Jesus Christ as Savior, could we pray together for gospel advance? Could we pray together specifically? And I'm not opposed to praying for, for health needs and traveling safety and a new job and this type of thing. But it is interesting that in the scriptures, the, the content of the praying was often the advance of the gospel or the glory of the Lord or the encouragement of the saints. 
So uh, we're going to be looking at even the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, the Bible talks about the fact that the early church turned the world upside down. And one of the ways they did that was by God's people praying together. So Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to begin reading in verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to make a few comments, and then we're going to, and I'm going to ask, you're going to be tempted to go to these places that I'm going to comment on, but I ask that you just keep your hand in Ephesians chapter 6. But verse 12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So if we're to pause there, even in that one verse, we're going to see that we're doing spiritual warfare in a dimension we can't see. Now that's really hard for us because we're a visual culture. I'm not a gamer, but I have two sons that are. And um, I, I don't see any redeeming value in gaming, but that's just a whole nother discussion. Um, but they even have evangelistic gaming going on. And, and, uh, but to me, that's a, a culture in an area that doesn't exist. But just because we can't see something doesn't mean it doesn't exist. We live in a, a, a video culture. I'm, I spend a lot of time traveling and go into a hotel often, and, and there's, there's banks and banks of televisions in the lobby. Why? Because they know, and it's always moving. If you watch, the, if you watch any kind of news on television, there's often a moving things moving in the background because our minds are drawn to motion. This text describes the fact that we're doing spiritual warfare in a dimension that we can't see. And therefore, we try to discount it. We're tempted to say, all we have to worry about is what we see. But our prayers affect the dimension we can't see. God's Holy Spirit can work in lives in Maine. God's Holy Spirit can work in lives in Iraq. God's Holy Spirit can, can work in places, even in the valley here, that that you would, could never get into, but God's Holy Spirit can. As we pray, it affects the dimension we can't see. And think of this. This is where oh, I'm just going to ask you to hang with me. As, as, and if you know these texts, great. And if you don't know them, I encourage you to jot them down. But 2 Kings chapter 6 is where the, the Elisha and the servant were uh, out in the wilderness. And the servant saw the Syrian army approaching, and they were going to come get Elisha. And um, the scripture records, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those that are with them. Now, I don't know if I were, if I were <laughs> the servant right now. I'm thinking, I see hundreds of warriors, and I see Elisha and me. But he said, there's more with us than be with them. Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So there is a dimension we can't see. And we do spiritual warfare in that dimension. We're approaching Christmas. Luke chapter 2 talks about the shepherds who were in their field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Maybe you have a Christmas program. Maybe kids quote this text. 
I would encourage you, when you hear this text, think about a dimension we can't see. Because Luke 2 and verse 12 says, And this shall be a sign uh, for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying. So one angel became a multitude. It's almost like um, I was looking at the windows here to see if you had maybe some Venetian blinds on the windows like houses do. Um, God kind of rolled up the blinds of the atmosphere to where these shepherds could see into that dimension we can't normally see, and they saw the angelic host singing. Fascinating what's going on around us that we can't see. In fact, they were singing, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us go to Bethlehem. I mean, they were impacted by this. So in your Bibles, could you go back to, or you're still in Luke chapter 6, uh, I'm sorry, um, Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verse 18. This is after the armor of the Christian, after all these things that we're to put on for spiritual warfare, verse 18 says, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So again, in our American minds, we, we personalize this, and we say Paul was writing to me, and therefore I am to pray always. And that's true. But the church at Ephesus was a body of believers. This was written to a body of believers. So this body of believers in their spiritual warfare ought to be praying together. And even Paul is saying, pray for me that I will have boldness. Jonathan Edwards, Puritan Jonathan Edwards, lived in the 1700s. He's attributed for uh, the, the, the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God brought about a great awakening. Many, many people trusted Christ as a result of, of his ministry. Um, he took this text and he traced the word boldly through the New Testament. And he said this, he said, as far as I can tell, this is what happens when Christians pray. That the Holy Spirit takes God's word from, the, from his word and works through the heart of the person who's presenting God's word. And he used the word boys it, like a, like a, a, a Something in the ocean is floating, it's, it, it's boying, and it's a boy. Um, uh, he takes God's word and the Holy Spirit boys it to the hearer. So the Holy Spirit, when, when Paul is praying for boldness, he's praying for the impactful ministry of the Holy Spirit to take God's word and bury it in the hearts of people. So I encourage you, when your pastor's preaching, pray for his preaching. Pray on Saturday, pray on Wednesday, pray for the bold proclamation of God's word. This is not just courageous, which is part of it, but this is Holy Spirit-fueled ministry. I would also encourage you, if you know somebody is presenting the gospel to an unbeliever and you know about it, pray for them. Pray for Holy Spirit work. Maybe you're, maybe you're at work and, and you're talking to somebody. Text a friend and say, would you pray with me? I'm about to give the gospel. I'm just even going to give a verse of scripture or I'm trying to build a bridge to this person and pray together for gospel advance. It is spiritual warfare in a dimension we can't see. And we get to be a part of this. We know that our, our God put a high priority on God's 
people praying together. That's why in the text that we looked at in Acts chapter 2 in the Sunday school hour, at the end of the paragraph we were looking at, it talks about innovation and, and networking, but then the Bible says, and the Lord added to the church day by day those who were being saved. So those who heard the Great Commission were practicing evangelism, and God added to the church. So I would encourage us, even, as, even if you're here today and you have questions about Christianity, I want you to know we're praying for you. We're praying that God would connect the dots in your head and, and answer questions and that the Holy Spirit would work in your heart and that you would be added to the church. That's not necessarily membership, but it's added to the body of believers called the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, now, in your Bibles, when you go to Acts chapter 4, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, and then we're going to be in Acts chapter 6, and then we'll have the Lord's table. Acts chapter 4 is another text where it talks about, the, uh, describes the fact that really the corporate prayer, or um, what the Puritans used to call united prayer, is the oxygen of the early church. And we want this to be the oxygen of the modern day church as well. So in Acts chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 23, right before this, Peter and John had been detained for preaching the gospel. And um, Acts chapter 4, verse 23 says, And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And by the way, that was, don't preach anymore. And they said, we can't help but preach. Right? Verse 24, And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said. And we're not going to read the prayer here, but if you study the prayer, they pray the scriptures, which is what I was so encouraged to see, even in what you do on, on this uh, day of prayer, that you're praying the scriptures back to God. I just want to call attention to the fact that the very first thing that they did after Peter and John were released from their detention was they gathered God's people together to pray. It was the default of the early church to pray together. It was immediate. It was natural. It wasn't, do we have a prayer list? <laughs> it wasn't, so what are we going to pray about? It was just breathing to them in spiritual warfare. It wasn't even waiting for, for Wednesday night. Okay? It was, or, or the first Sunday of the month. It was natural. Um, even praying God's word. Verse 31 describes what happened after they prayed. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. There's our word again. So I don't know, and neither do you, exactly know what happened. We do know that they were keeping records of earthquakes back then, and there is no localized earthquake recorded during this time. But yet the place in where they met was shaken. I was, in, uh, I was in Wyoming preaching a while back, and I mentioned this text. And there was a guy there that works for NASA, and um, he's uh, got a doctorate or PhD in astrophysics or something like that. And uh, he had a word, and I, I don't remember, I didn't write it down. It's like quantum something or other. And uh, he said, I'm wondering, he said, if we're talking about spiritual warfare, and I'm just throwing this out, just, I'm just curious. Um, he said, if we're talking about spiritual warfare, and this is the beginning of the church, and this is the aggressive church, Great Commission, spiritual warfare praying, 
Lord adding to the church day by day, there, I, Satan would not have been happy with what's going on. And if prayer addresses the dimension we can't see, he said, I'm wondering if there was so much spiritual warfare activity going on in the heavenlies, and there was spiritual warfare activity going on in the dimension we can see. He said, I'm just wondering if somehow those two dimensions touched and the place where in the bet was shaken. I don't know. But we do know that in this gathering that there was great gospel advance, bold gospel advance, um, and that God filled the, the believers with the Holy Spirit for gospel advance. Um, some of you may know the name James Frazier, who was a James O. Frazier, he's often referred to. He was a, a, a missionary to China. And he said this. He said, I used to think that prayer should have the first place and that teaching the second. I now feel that it would be truer to give prayer the first, second, and third places <laughs> and teaching the fourth. Charles Spurgeon. You can say, wait a minute. He was the prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon is called. But he said this about prayer. I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. Now, I'm not downplaying preaching. Okay? I'm a pastor. I'm a, I've been a pastor. I'm a preacher. But there is something to this matter of God's people praying together that gives a bold witness that doesn't happen unless we are praying together. Andrew Murray, South African missionary, said this, the man who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangelization in history. That's why when I met on Zoom, your pastor, and we talked about the, the tone of culture, prayer, culture, prayer, uh, a prayer culture, I, I couldn't help but be excited and know that I believe the best days are yet to come as far as God's church goes here because an army of Christian prayers affects that dimension that we can't see and God's at work. And as you pray for the preaching, you pray for the communication of the word, the Holy Spirit does his work in hearts. Now, finally, would you go to Acts chapter 6? Acts chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 3 and 4 of Acts chapter 6. And this is where... I am just amazed at something that's in this text, and I think of it almost every time I fly. But, and you'll understand why here in just a second. Acts chapter 6 has to do with the widows that were being neglected at, in the early church. And as a result, they, they um, elected uh, servants, some would call them deacons, uh, to be able to um, take care of the, the work of the church. Uh, Acts chapter 6 and verse 3 says this, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now, I've been through a lot of ordination councils and, and installation services for pastors, and this verse is often used for that. We will, give our, we will devote ourselves to prayer, to the ministry of the Word, what I often is, hear is, now, preacher, you better preach God's word and be a man of the book, and you better spend a lot of time on your knees in prayer. And that's true, and that is an application of this text. But if we have corporate ministry to widows and a corporate ministry of the word, it would not be um, a twist of the scripture to say this at least has an emphasis of the corporate prayer of God's people. And so even a pastor is to give himself to nourishing a culture of prayer in a church. 
um, I was actually uh, you know, on a flight, and I was talking to a believer, and we were talking about this text, and he said, he looked out one side of the plane, and the other side of the plane, he said, you know, this is like two wings of an airplane. You can't have just one plane, one wing. He said, you have to have prayer and the ministry of the word. And so think with me about a man by the name of Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf in 1727, who gathered a bunch of people together for, for corporate prayer. They were actually, it was a, a group of Moravians that were having trouble getting along. And so he started a prayer meeting, which ended up lasting 100 years of a daily prayer meeting. And out of that prayer meeting, they can now trace 300 missionaries that came out of that group of people. God answers and honors the praying of his people. Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God guy that we talked about earlier, uh, uh, was part of a great awakening. What many people don't know is that six months before he preached his sermon, he had Monday evening and Saturday evening prayer meetings. And he, he collected people all around, pastors all around his area, and they would have Monday afternoon prayer meetings of people praying for the advance of the gospel. And so when, the, when Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God was preached and God started awakening as a result, Jonathan Edwards attributed it, this to God's people praying. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, I mentioned earlier, was the, the Prince of Preachers in London, late 1800s. He had 300 people in the basement of his church praying an hour and a half before he preached. Then they, pre then they prayed. A different group came in and prayed during his preaching. And then after he preached, another group came in and prayed for another hour about the seed that had been planted in hearts. And he took Mondays off, and he would come to the office on Tuesday, and he said the line outside the church was, was very long with the staff that would come because people were seeking the Lord, and they had been waiting since Sunday to talk to somebody about Jesus Christ. He called the prayer meeting his furnace room, and he said the reason these people are coming to Christ is not my pulpit skills. It's by my people's prayer skills. I would encourage us to be pr a praying people. And then lastly, in verse 7 of this, of this text in Acts, in Acts chapter 6, look at this and think of, in your heart, think of the hardest case you know. The hardest person to be hardest to the gospel, the person who you would think would be no way they would ever come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Verse 7 says this, And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Hmm. I don't know who these priests are. We can speculate. Some commentators get pretty dogmatic about this. It appears that there are priests which would have been Jewish priests that it would have been very familiar with offering sacrifices. Remember, this is early in the book of Acts, so they may have been even in the temple at Passover when Jesus Christ died. And if you remember, when Jesus Christ died, the temple veil was ripped from top to bottom. And it's very possible that these priests saw that. Obviously, that had never happened before. Obviously, it was something to think about. But these priests were aggressively opposed to Jesus the Messiah. Yet between that account of the temple veil being ripped and Acts chapter 6 and God's people were praying together, we're seeing now that a great company of priests were trusting Christ as Savior. It's very possible that God took the 
prayers of his people and the word of God that had been articulated even through the growing up years of these priests and buried into their hearts and quickened their hearts and they saw Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus is the answer. And a great number of the people who were religious and had everything figured out and would have been the hardest cases, these people were coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior. God's people praying together does spiritual warfare in a dimension we can't see. One final story. We'll be done. And I think I have one minute so we can have our Lord's table service. Some of you I mentioned um, on the screen in the Sunday school hour, a group of people praying together every day at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. And we've been doing it now mid about over 900 days. Um, one of the things that's come out of that prayer meeting is a, a man by the name of Puyan. Puyan is a pastor in London, but he's Iranian. He was raised in Iran, and, uh, and, he, and he, he's a pastor in, in London. Um, he uploads his sermons in Farsi language and uh, to sermonaudio.com, and he said, we're now tracing 36, no, I'm sorry, 26,000 downloads a month into Iran. Um, and uh, he said, I get now email every day from people in Iran trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. He said, if anybody tells you that God's, he, he's, he's, he's on our prayer call. He's, he's, on, he's not as often right now as he has been, but uh, he'll, he'll come on and he'll start telling stories of what's going on. And he said, if anybody tells you that God's people praying together in spiritual warfare doesn't work, let me talk to them. Then he told us a few days ago about a man that had written him from Tehran and said, I've been listening to, he's Muslim, he said, I've been listening to you preach. He said, I am not ready to be a Christian yet. That would mean a lot to my family. He said, it would mean probably the end of my, the end of my, um, my job. But he said, I've been listening to your sermons and I've been reading your Bible. And I don't want to read I don't want to read the Quran anymore. In fact, he said, I don't even want to print. He said, my job, I'm a printer, and I print Qurans. That's my job. I've got a warehouse of Quranic paper. And he said, I just don't see any need. Could I just print Bibles? And, uh, and Puyan said, Puyan really thought this was a trap. He thought it was an Iranian trap uh, to find the Christians in Tehran. And so he had some friends, and they vetted this guy, and this guy was, was real. And he said, this guy has a hunger for the things of God. And he knows that, that, that Islam is empty, and he's seeing truth and light in Christianity. And he said, uh, I think we ought to do this. So they sent them, him the software, and whatever he needed to print Bibles, he has now printed over 15,000 Bibles and Christians are going by cover of night, getting Bibles and distributing their Bibles in a Muslim you know, country. And uh, Puyan got on this prayer call the other day that anybody can join, by the way. UnitedPrayer.net is, is will give you the, the access to that. And uh, he said, God's people praying together is allowing the Holy Spirit to reach into dark hearts in dark countries to bring people to himself. And we're seeing it every day. So... Don't let Satan change the price tags. Don't let Satan tell you it doesn't work. And there's no success. Let Satan, let Jesus say, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the power of your word.
preached. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit in hearts. And oh God, we'd ask that you would take the prayers of this beautiful body of believers, seemingly insignificant in the scope of many things, but, but very great in your hands. I was thinking of a little song, God, that's little as much when God is in it. And uh, may it be that we see our efforts, our combined efforts of God's people praying together advance your kingdom. And one of these days, may we even be able to see those that are in heaven as a result of our praying for the advance of the gospel. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.